You are listening to the Converge Media Network, uplifting our voices. Prosperity in Black America. What will this require? Is Black business prospering? Are we reaching women and minority-owned businesses? How do we achieve earning parity for wealth for our families? I'm that provocateur of change. I am Cindy Bright. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright. Thank you for joining us this evening. Hey, our last few shows uh, that we've been uh, talking and discussing every week has been around uh, the targeting of Black women in leadership positions. And today I decided to pivot just a little bit because I want to talk about Black women in leadership positions and what it takes to be able to uh, remain in leadership positions. Before we do that, though, I want to um, welcome uh, one of our partners here at Converge to Heartbeat tonight because he is the Director of Diversity and Inclusion for the Seattle Theater Group, and he has a fabulous leadership opportunity development program that he wants to share with our community. Let me welcome in Aaron Reeder to Heartbeat this evening. Um, Aaron, welcome this evening here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for coming on and talking to our community. Uh, we're always interested to hear and know uh, what's happening in our community. And you have shared with me um, and I uh, and here tonight with our community um, a program that you have. I'm just going to turn it over to you and let you highlight to the community this program that you have, what it is, how do people apply, like why you guys are doing it. So let me just turn that over to you and let you speak for a few. Sure. Thank you. Um, so one, I think just starting off with um, Seattle Theater Group has really um, been excited over this past year. We've been trying to develop a, a leadership program specifically designed for our BIPOC communities um, and just really understanding that in our art sector, um, there is not, you know, the representation that we need to have and should have in leadership positions. Um, throughout the arts. And I would even say um, that that goes beyond the arts itself. Um, and so STG really wanted to invest in this program because one, we're really connected to our community. Um, we want this sector to grow. We want to uh, make sure that as the People's Theater, the work that we're doing really reflects our community, the communities that we want to serve and serve better. Um, and so just understanding that, I think it was important to create a program that really helped develop the pipeline for our future leaders, um, you know, and our, our leaders of color are all around the city. Um, but I think oftentimes we um, don't have those opportunities to really rise to leadership positions as we can. So we wanted to be strategic. And so we have developed the brand new Ricardo Frazier Executive Leadership Program. Um, and the focus, the primary focus of this program really is to just create a transformative journey um, for mid-level, entry-level professionals of color who are in the performing arts industry. Um, it's an innovative program that really helps to address the underrepresentation of our historically excluded communities um, and just increase the racial diversity within Washington. Um, and so we really wanted to, to build that. Um, the program's purpose is to foster new generation leaders. Um, something that I love about this program is it's not one that is designed to say, let me teach you how to be a leader. Uh, it's more so 
trying to, uh, I think, affirm our communities of color that you already have the skill set, you already have lived experiences um, just based off of, you know, the things that you've overcome uh, based off of historical impacts that you have this deep rooted connection to leadership, um, to skills. And we want to just illuminate it uh, and harness it more and provide some of those, I think, insights that we otherwise don't have if we're not at the table. And so um, that is uh, planned to start this September, uh, September 2023 through May of next year. It's a cohort program and um, it's really uh, comprised of uh, four separate kind of leadership institutes. So one is creating a leadership vision. The second one is really focused on deepening leadership capacities, thinking about things like theory and practice. Um, another important piece is just learning from success stories of other professionals of color. Um, there's so much magic in the success stories that we have and how we've overcome and navigated barriers and challenges. And so focusing on success stories and then lastly, integrating that into, you know, kind of this career plan. Um, and so um, so that's that's really the uh, kind of the high level focus of this program. Uh, it was named after Ricardo Frazier. Many of you may or may not know. I, I think at this point, uh, many folks should know who Ricardo Frazier is, um, but he uh, has been a, a very strong pioneer to the arts uh, in Seattle. He is a part of STG's board. He's been a part of our STG community for years. Uh, and so we wanted to name something after a community leader, someone who has advocated for the arts for a long time. So we're really excited. And um, yeah, I just want to spread the word so we can get, you know, folks to uh, to really be a part of this learning opportunity. I love the uh, intentionality around what you're doing. Um, some of your com your opening comments about, you know, why you're doing this and historically people who are historically left out. You know, there's other ways um, you're, you're highlighting that there's other ways to gain skills and be able to focus um, in an area that we've been left out of. And the arts is a beautiful mm -hmm. way to, to do that. And I think a lot of, you know, BIPOC community doesn't have access to uh, the arts and, and so forth. So this is a, a wonderful, um, a wonderful opportunity, I think. How do people, first off, um, does this program cost people something to get into? If so, how much? How do they apply for this? Are the, what's the whole protocol for um, entering into this? Yeah. So, uh, so right now the program is free. Uh, this because this is our our beta year, our first year running this program. Knowing that access is uh, you know is a huge barrier for uh, a lot of our communities, we wanted to make this a free opportunity for folks to participate in something special. Uh, the application process is fairly simple. Um, you would go on to stgpresents.org, uh, go into our search bar, type in Ricardo Frazier, and it will bring you to our application process, which really is um, you uh, kind of filling out a, uh, you know, a biography about yourself, um, a little bit about your work experience, and then answering some open-ended questions around, you know, why the arts is important, why something like this program will be impactful to you. Uh, and then once you do that, um, trying to get a letter of recommendation from, you know, a mentor, a supervisor, someone who can vouch for, you know, um, that drive that you have to to kind of 
continue further in your career and identify as a BIPOC professional. Uh, so it's very simple. Um, and, you know, the application closes on August 25th. Okay, good to know. And because you know my, two of my co-hosts, I'm going to invite them in right now so that you guys can all see each other because <laughs> I didn't know you all knew each other. Let me welcome in Stephanie Coverson and Aaron Jones. Um, to <laughs> hey, how are you? Hi. <laughs> Did you all get to hear the program that he's talking about? Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? Amazing. Yes. Yes. Well, I big thank you to, to Aaron. Big thank you to Aaron and Stephanie, because you all have been uh, really instrumental, I think, in just a lot of the development to programs like this in the, in the past. So a big thank you to both of you. So it's great to see you, Aaron. Yeah, we just wanted to highlight it. And um, for the Seattle Theater Group, Aaron, we thank you for that. And we will continue. We will um, share this show and make sure we get this out, this word out to our community, because um, it closes August the 23rd so for our community listening. Today's the 9th, so you've got uh, about two weeks, roughly, if I can do math in my head quickly, to get applications in. But we'll continue to make sure uh, that our community um, sees this message, and hopefully we get some good folks uh, who apply for this program and can come forward. Aaron, thank you for coming on with us and highlighting this in our community. We thank you for that. We'll be in touch with you soon. Thank you. All right. Bye. And Stephanie and Aaron, thanks for um, being on with me tonight. I had um, wanted to talk about, you know, I had, I don't know if you heard my intro where I had said, you know, we've been talking a lot about um, targeting of black women and actually that topic's not over. Uh, I have another, there's been a lot of outreach, I'll put it that way. And so there's more to come on that. But I did want to ask, because we've all, we're all in the black women leadership space. And so I wanted an opportunity to talk to our community about how we can actually help encourage and equip them for what it means to be a black woman and a leader in business and education and arts and wherever it kind of all nets out to be the same thing. Do you have any thoughts about that? I had a, I was doing a lot of um, processing of that with what's going across our country right now with black women's leadership. Any thoughts about any of this? Uh, a lot of thoughts. I mean, I think uh, one thing that I've been reflecting on uh, a lot lately in terms of the launch of my own business um, and uh, being able to have uh, my own career and be my own boss, um, there were a lot of folks who spoke my names in rooms that I did not have access to who um, were already business owners and like, here, sis, like, let me hip you to some things you need to know about. Um, so for me, I've been reflecting a lot um, on how we move farther together mm -hmm. and the need to reject like this scarcity mindset that I can't share my templates with you. I can't tell you what I know. I can't hip you to game because we're in competition. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I have been, again, really grateful to um, the black women and other women of color and women in general, I should say, um, 
who have taken the time to share their knowledge. Um, and the other thing that I would say uh, is uh, opening your mouth and speaking to what you need, what you're looking for. Um, those have just been some reflections for me uh, uh, by a series of events this week. So I'll start there. Mm -hmm. and that Those are actually really good points, uh, particularly the one I like about that you said about sharing templates and that sort of thing, because we have um, all, um, even you and I have had a conversation about that too, right? About let me just ship this to you so we can do it the same way, you know, this PowerPoint so that you can see how I laid that out. Like just because the more we do this work together, the better off we all are. And I do, we are having a show next week. I'll talk more about it towards the end of the show. I'm going to hear Aaron's comments on this too, but I do want to emphasize that. Uh, Stephanie, I think that's really important that um, we've been so accustomed to being um, robbed of everything that we have um, and not compensated or paid or all the things that come along with that um, scarcity mentality. Aaron, what were your thoughts about this? So two things I'm thinking um, just after listening to this, Stephanie's comment and your comment just now, I have always been of the mind, well, I think Americans are scarcity mentality anyway. And I think part of that is capitalism. It creates the scarcity mentality. And I didn't grow up in the United States. So I um, have always come to things a little bit differently. So even though obviously I charge for my book, I charge a fee for my book, materials that I created over time for leaders, I have often given those away and I give them away with the belief that if I keep my hands open, I'll also receive back. And I find that um, that's a novel idea for people. So um, yeah, I should get paid for my work. And especially when I choose to give my work away on my terms, um, I have found that it comes back to me. One of my mentees now is starting an organization. She literally called me, I'm in, uh, I'm in Sacramento. Well, I'm not in Sacramento, I'm two hours northwest of Sacramento. So I'm in the middle of the woods above Clear Lake, California, which is, a, there are not very many of us out here. Um, but when I got to the airport, she called and said, um, there are actually a lot of black people up here, more than I thought. That kind of shocked me. But she called me and she has had an idea for creating a gathering of black leaders and business owners to help share these ideas. And she called me in the airport to tell me that she has a location for her first event. And she's actually going to be hosting a gathering once a month to help, um, especially younger entrepreneurs meet with lawyers and figure out how do you set up an LLC versus get incorporated. And I am just really, I'm really excited about that because I think we're in a place now where we're realizing we can't do it by ourselves and we're figuring out ways to leverage what each person knows and bring it to a place to share it. Mm -hmm. We've been talking about that, Erin, um, uh, a few of us. First off, I'm very familiar with Clear Lake. Uh, I grew up in the oh. Fairfield area. And so Clear Lake, um, I used to actually water ski at Clear Lake quite a bit. So I know exactly where you are right now, just so you know. And um, wow. <laughs> that wild. Um, but we, yes, yes, and yes, we all, um, I know Stephanie and I and Joy and several others of us have talked about, you know, it would be helpful. Um, and maybe we'll talk more about this next week on the Black Women Show that we're doing. But, you know, there's all these different areas that we each have a niche in. 
And it would behoove us to collectively tap into that and work that as an ecosystem instead of trying to do it alone. And, and there's a lot of pros and cons to that, which we'll get into next week when we talk about, you know, some of the, um, some of the characteristics of uh, black women's community and what it means to uh, be a black woman trying to prosper and earn money and the kind of issues and barriers we face within our own black community. We're going to talk about that more next week, but certainly, um, you know, many, were you going to say something, Erin? Well, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to bring something up that is not related yeah. to black women exactly, but it gives me hope. The whole Montgomery brawl, the whole <laughs> Alabama brawl. God, I, and you talk about it. <laughs> here, here's why I'm bringing that up now. Here's why I'm bringing it up now. Because um, I got on TikTok last night when I got here, just, just because I'm in a hotel room by myself. And literally every TikTok video was somebody, <laughs> some black family, some black communities doing a TikTok, which is just hysterical. But here's the thing that I got out of this. And my husband and I were talking about this last night. There is a way that that brawl represents mm. a disruption of the narratives about black community. Yes. Right? And, and he was asking, man, why did we come together in this way in this moment? And I think what I'm seeing on TikTok is it's not just that moment. It has sown a seed mm -hmm. of we have got to come together. Like things have been so bad that we, we just have to, we have to come together. Um, and we can't afford to not come together right now. Um, and we, we've just, and now we're making light of it a bit, but it also is bringing us together for the arts, which is why it was perfect that Aaron was on tonight yeah. because people are now using the arts to now share. Um, anyway, so I, I just, I think that, how do we disrupt some behaviors that we have had as a community that are really harmful, some narratives about black women, how could we begin to disrupt those? And I think the Alabama brawl is a, it's a hopeful harbinger of what could be for us as, and I know some people won't understand that at all, but I am hopeful because of it. And I think it's sowing some seeds of something different. I agree with that. Stephanie, what were you going to say about it? So I was, I think, going to say the yes and to that, right? So I think that there the last three years we have really lived through the lens of social media and people like to say outrageous things, you know, for clicks and likes and to be an influencer and then monetize the whole thing. And so for me, that Alabama brawl or uh, fade in the water, as it's been also called <laughs> the battle of Montgomery <laughs> has also been a reminder to me that this, you know, what is on social media is not real life. So when Brother Man threw that cap up in the air, we had <laughs> brothers jumping in the water, you know, swimming, yeah. um, which was in and of itself was a feat because I don't know about y'all, but when I swim, like I am exhausted, you know, something about the gravitational back to normal of walking on land. Uh, I always need a nap afterwards, but he didn't. <laughs> um, and this whole idea, though, of all of these people coming together and like, uh-uh, you know, no, you're not. And we also um, 
I think from this history fraught of violence against black people, when you have a crowd of angry white men, you know, historically, those types of situations hadn't, they don't end well. And so this idea of um, stepping in and offering protection, um, you know, and support to that brother that you know, those, uh, I think it was five or six, you know, white men were on top of. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the other part of the video where you saw, you know, there were some white women that got involved with the fight. And then you saw, you know, black women getting involved, trying to have the backs of black men. And then you had white men, you know, reaching out to choke out black women. And then you had black men preventing that from happening. So I think there were, um, for me, it was just sort of this reminder of, you know, sort of this clickbait and controversial and, you know, Kevin Samuels and sort of all of that Mm -hmm. sort of stuff Mm -hmm. is a small, uh, you know, a small, minute piece of the black community and it is not, you know, sort of this all of us that uh, tends to be portrayed on social media because that's what finds its way to our for you page mm-hmm. or is pushed into our newsfeed. Mm-hmm. I think it was just like the sense of hope though that, and, and I, I agree. I mean, it's definitely clickbait and definitely doesn't represent all of us, but I was with the nine black students who are at this very white school in it's, it's not even clear, like it's Blue Lake. I'm up in Upper Lake, um, Cindy. So it is like very remote and there are nine black students. And there's a way that events of the last couple of months have really galvanized these particular students too. And it's just almost like, are we at a, I am just hoping there's a part of me that is hoping that we're at a tipping point for us where we can turn around and say, okay, where are my sisters at? Where are my brothers at? And, and how do we leverage some of these opportunities and realize there's a backlash coming, just like there was with Black Lives Matter following the anti-critical race theory. Anyway, just silly Absolutely. example, but yeah. No, Absolutely. And that was my worry, too. Like, as I was watching that, I was like, hmm. And so what's going to happen after dark? Like, who's going to jump on their horse, you know, with their torch mm-hmm. and their pitchforks and, you know, that sort of redemption? Um uh, type of behavior. Mm-hmm. I did, you know, I, I, I think Aaron, what you were saying, I felt very similar to that. And there were just some interesting um, coincidences about that, you know, things like um, the boat happened to be named Harriet. Um, the fact that last week, yes. the, 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 the controversy was, uh, what's his name? Jason Aldean's, you know, mess around in a small, that in a small town. town. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just, I feel like, you know, divine is putting in front of everybody, like at a much higher rate or a speed, the hypocrisies of what has been happening and the unity of people coming together and not even for a second going to stand by even the chair, the folding chair, the amount of memes I saw on the folding chair, I had to get Kleenex. I was laughing so hard at some of these memes, but, you know, just very powerful things, movements that are happening now uh, that I do tend to agree, Aaron. I think we are 
beyond a tipping point. I think we've tipped uh, on several levels of us working collectively together and where we're headed as a country, because it's going to require us to work collectively for the season that we're heading into or that we're in already, I should say. Right. And I think too, like, how do we leverage joy in that? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that's the other thing that I was thinking about. And I've been thinking a lot just about history and, and how black people have used the arts and used singing and comedy as a way to survive through really hard times, right? And like the whole chair thing, um, my husband and I got married in a Black Baptist church and I, I just, I have laughed so hard at all of the, the memes and short sketches, but I thought, you know, how often when we could turn around and just destroy people, do we turn to the arts yes. and find ways to find joy and humor instead of like, White people are so worried about how we're going to turn around and do to them what they've done to us. But instead, we turn that into joy. We turn that into comedy as a like a salve almost um, mm-hmm. and as a way of continuing to, to fight. We don't actually physically fight. We fight with our humor and our our ability to create things, which I think is a beautiful testament to who we are collectively as a people, um, because so many people should turn to violence and mm-hmm. picking up a weapon. And, and that's not what we turn to. We turn to things that are creative that give us life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, um, I'll, and I do have to admit, though, that lift every chair and swing. That was so brilliant. I'm like, I think you needed the Kleenex. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because otherwise you cannot help but cry um, yes. because Brother Man was just trying to do his job. Yeah. And yeah. so just the audacity and entitlement of people to be, I guess, illegally parked, if that's what you do in a boat, more docked, um, and then be upset enough to assault somebody that is asking them to follow the law. Um, and I do think also along these lines, like this is the trend, right? So it is, um, you know, we see sort of the Central Park Karen and, you know, the Hilton Hillary and, you know, sort of all of these different situations where white people are breaking the law or policies and black people asking them to adhere to the law and the policy. And then the, the police are weaponized, um, or the, there's an assault, right. But then charges are dropped, filed if they're filed and then they're dropped and, you know, some sort of semblance of, uh, uh, restitution, like write a letter of apology, like just very, I wouldn't even call it a slap on the wrist. I would mm-hmm. call it a, like an application of perfume. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even call it a slap on the wrist. And to see, um, this situation where that behavior was not acceptable, um, there was pushback and actual arrests. Mm-hmm. I want to I want to unpack that more, Stephanie, because I what you're describing now 
uh, is precisely where I want it to be in this conversation tonight around Black women's leadership because, um, because of where we are right now in society and in organizations. And when I say organizations, it's a broad term, educational spaces, nonprofits. I want to talk about what that's actually looking like and then what is it we uh, as Black women leaders in our community can help um, the Black women who are currently still in these spaces who talk to me. I, I, there's not a week that goes by that I'm not talking to three to five Black women who are experiencing very difficult times right now. But let me go to commercial. We'll run those. We'll come back and pick back up on that. Hey guys, Vesa Gordon here. Right now I am with my exclusive fam. And in case you missed it, August is National Black Business Month. So of course, Converge Media is going to uplift different black businesses across the Pacific Northwest. And we want for you to nominate your favorite by going to whereweconverge.com forward slash black business month. Again, that is whereweconverge.com forward slash black business month. And honestly, you never know. Girl might pull up. The new COVID-19 updated booster provides the best protection available right now. So don't wait. Stay safe this summer and get your updated booster today. To find a free vaccine provider near you, go to kingcounty.gov forward slash vaccine. Big Tobacco thinks they know everything. They think they know you, your community, the places you go, and the way that you spend your time. They think they got you all figured out. Down to a formula. A calculation based off of numbers of what they think they know. Show them they're wrong. Learn more at theythinktheyknowyou.org. Hey, I'm Basil Gordon. You may have heard my voice on Hits 106.1 or seen me on Converge Media, but now I'm coming to TV. I'm hosting the newest show on Fox 13 called Back to Basa. Check us out every weekend for the hottest topics, interviews, the latest trends, and uplifting stories. We're going to have so much fun, and teams, we got you too. Back to base is Saturday nights, 10.30 on Fox 13, and Sundays at 10 a.m. on Fox 13+. Plus. Welcome back to Heartbeat. I am your host, Cindy Bright, with my co-host, Stephanie Coverson uh, and Aaron Jones. In the first half of the show, we got to hear from uh, Aaron Reeder. He is the Director of Diversity at the Seattle Theater Group, who shared with our community uh, a leadership program that sounded pretty exciting. It's um, an opportunity for uh, BIPOC people in our community to gain some broader leadership skills. Uh, in the spaces of arts. It's a brilliant thing. We were just talking about um, why the arts is so important to us as Black community. And we were also just having a conversation about uh, kind of the patterns of what uh, Black people, Black women have, have and are experiencing as leaders in our community. Um, I want to acknowledge, I saw uh, some comments come in from one of our listeners. And one of the questions that she asked is, why are Black women experiencing difficult times? Uh, if you don't mind me asking, and I, we don't mind, Ruby, that's why we do this show. Um, I'm, I'm going to talk to it from my perspective about what they talk to me about, but I, I want to welcome um, both Aaron and Stephanie have very strong leadership experience and work as leaders in our community as well in the space, particularly of coaching Black women. Um, I would characterize what I'm hearing um, uh, are uh, the lack of regard or lack of respect and the lack of believing Black women. And so there is this very difficult 
there there are many black women in our community who, by the way, are afraid to come forward. I have invited several of them to come talk with us on Heartbeat about it. And they don't want to put themselves in compromising positions or lose their jobs if they do this or lose earning power uh, if they have it. So, again, these systems that are in place that don't afford uh, people to actually speak out and speak the truth. I think some of the um, the information or the details behind that are tend to be uh, one of the very few black people in that organization. Uh, this week, I just heard an interesting comment, uh, and it's only Wednesday, of a woman who shared with me um, she is in a position of power and, and was asked the question, like, why do people come talk to you? Uh, and so this whole notion, Stephanie, you were hit, uh, getting at this right before the break, that they don't see us as actual leaders. And then when we're in positions of leadership, we're undermined, sabotaged and all the things that go with that. Now, I've been wrestling with, you know, that I've been bringing on and talking about these targeting of black women because it's real and it's happening and trying to weigh out how do we empower and influence black women to continue in this space and not give up before their two year cycle is up. I want to turn back uh, to you, Ruby. I hope that gives you a little bit of um, insight and answers your question a little bit. Stephanie, do you want to continue talking about some of the things that you were mentioning before the break about this pattern? Absolutely. Um, the first thing that I just want to say um, uh, to us as Black women is you are not imagining it. Like, I think the first thing that happens, right, is this gaslighting um, and the moving goalposts and... Um, you know, this in terms of not being uh, seen, not being tapped for stretch assignments. Um, and I am going to talk a whole bunch every time that I can about the leanin.org and McKinsey and Company's report, um, Women in the Workplace. I invite everybody to Google it if you're interested. And it also breaks it down um, as well by intersectional identity. Like you can re read reports, for example, specifically related to black women. And in this report, it talks about that black women are more likely to have their judgment and competence questioned at work. So this whole prove it um, again bias um, and, and a, a simple example of how it can show up is I can be in a leadership space um, it, at a table in a meeting and I can say an idea and there'll be silence like it'll fly over like a lead balloon. Um, and then somebody, um, particularly a white man or a white woman, can say the exact same idea and that idea is accredited to them. And so many times um, we are not heard, like literally we are not heard. And I think that, um, frankly, our society conditions folks not to see us, period, like not as I'm not talking about they don't see us as human, but we are not seen, period. And I wonder if some of this is epigenetic, right? Like this idea of black people um, being servers, right, caretakers, et cetera, 
in spaces um, where business conversation, hell, even illegal dealings, but black people were kind of expected to blend in right to the paneling. And I think uh, this happens quite a bit um, in the workplace. And so if people are questioning your competency and uh, your expertise, um, you're not going to get tapped, right, for those stretch assignments or for those promotions. And we as Black women are more likely to be interested in progressing into our careers, into C-suite positions. Um, we are more likely to be interested in um, uh, starting our own businesses, sort of all of these different kinds of things. But back specifically to the workplace, we uh, vie for and request promotions at the same rate um, as men. And for every 100 men promoted to manager, only 58 black women, right, are promoted, which, cre which creates a smaller pool than for every subsequent step in an organization towards that C-suite position. So it's called the broken rung, mm -hmm. right? And so that just, it subsequently gets worse. And I think um, as folks, the, for example, the three of us who have been in those C-suites, um, I think it's helpful and valuable to be able to have these conversations with other Black women that know it's not you, this is real. Um, and I think there's some shame in having those conversations, right? Because it's me, I failed, I did something wrong, I just couldn't cut it. Right. And so buying into right these messages that, you know, our expertise, our track record, our education um, don't mean anything in the workplace. Mm -hmm. I also wonder um, if in that question you're not asking as well, why now? And I would invite so I don't know what the fullness of what you're asking in that question, the person who asked the question. And I wonder if we're, we're talking about it now and seeing it more now in the Pacific Northwest, just because there are more black women who are in those C-suite positions now than there were 20 or 30 years ago. Um, because I think when I look at the black women leaders that I know who are in their seventies and eighties right now, um, in education, we had quite a few black women leaders I think this was true for them too, 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. Um, but I think there are more of us in our in the Pacific Northwest now. So I think um, we're able to see it more now because people are talking more now. Mm -hmm. I can think of two education leaders that were my bosses at different points in time who are now, one has passed away and one is retired. And I know from having talked to them after they retired, it was a nightmare for them in the 80s and 90s to be a leader. So I don't think this is a new thing at all. I just think there are more of us who are visible now just because our numbers are, are have increased in this community. But, but if you go to um, DC and New York, these conversations have, could have been had 20 years ago. Yeah. The same doubt. <laughs> but there are, uh, you know, yes, 
uh, and there are many uh, leaders. So, you know, an interesting pattern or trend uh, when you look at who's being tapped to fix the disasters now, um, you know, the judge that's taking over uh, the Trump case, right? Like um, what her life is about to be like, uh, if not already. Um, but certainly she, like um, Justice Katanji Brown, um, highly educated women, um, this seems to me from my perspective, the more letters we have behind our names, the more atrocious the behavior comes towards us. And so I think that um, many want to see us in these subservient positions or have enjoyed watching, um, you know, black women be abused. Uh, they tap us because they know, you know, we're smart enough to do these things. I mean, clearly, when you get yourselves to these levels, it's a no joke for anybody who's been through these kind of rigorous programs and processes to get to these points to become a superior court judge. I mean, that's that's not a joke um, what she must have sacrificed. But uh, targeted because she is that. And so I think many black women are asking the question, you know, should I stay in these organizations? Should I pivot to what, like, you know, the arts or into areas where um, I'm more valued than here, than over here? Um, and then, you know, what are the ramifications for that? And when I think about it from a business lens, the loss of talent that can organizations have continued to lose because they won't tackle the ecosystem around the black woman to help her succeed. They will put her in, tie one hand behind her back, give her no support, you know, and expect her to perform a miracle. And then when she can't perform it overnight, she's discarded and blamed for historical issues that exist in organizations. So it's a very difficult um place to navigate in any organization to be able to be successful there. It's very trying, <laughs> very trying. Yeah. I have heard um, us uh, as black women, um, it was working in an organization several years ago. Um, but in this uh, moment of candor um, that black women are the cleanup crew, mm -hmm. right? So think of, um, content warning, uh, a crime scene, right? And who comes in and cleans that up, like with their hazmat suits and all of their tools and all of the things. And so when things get really bad, um, particularly, you know, at the hands of a, a predecessor that, you know, kind of took their hands off the wheel, um, that you call in the cleaners. And so that was, you know, a comment made to me as, as an HR professional. Mm -hmm. Let's show this comment I want to, that Ruby just made about the biggest challenge in blacks, both men and women. Can we throw that comment up there? I think the biggest challenge in blacks, both men and women afraid to speak out on anything, but not speaking out means things will never change. I agree, but I would say there's a cost to doing it. And for those of us who have spoken out, uh, you have to be prepared to um, accept what comes with that because no one wants to look in the mirror at themselves. And so when you hold up that mirror, uh, it's easier to push the person holding the mirror away than to actually face 
the soul of yourself, right? To look at your own soul and be able to see how you contribute. And I say that rhetorically, either as an organization or as an individual, there is a price to pay for women like me, right? Like who speak the truth and who speak out. And um, I can say I've made personal choices um, to do some things different in my life. Uh, I certainly could you know, be making a lot more money, you know, had I chosen to stay silent, but enough is enough. And so we do get to these points where um, it's a trade-off to do it. And you just have to be prepared to live with the consequences of being vocal about issues. Erin, what were you thinking? No, I was just thinking too, there is also a way that when we experience an instance of microaggression or um, just some other target that we know is racial and dynamic. We are also accused of playing the rice card. So there's no winning in that. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's what I learned because I can think of my last, not my last boss, but the two bosses before that, both bosses, I was being targeted. And when I brought up issues related to microaggressions and they were not even microaggressions, one of them is a macroaggression. I was told you're bringing up the race card. I'm like, yeah, because it's racial targeting. You didn't do this to any of the white men or white women on, I am being targeted around race. You're asking me to do things specifically for the black community when that's not my job. It's our job to be serving the black community. And when I brought up any, and so I think that to your point, Cindy, like there are consequences that we have to face when we do speak up. And, and the reality is we're not believed then when we do speak up either. Mm-hmm. And and that's mm-hmm. a challenge. So I, I think, do we need to speak up more? I think the thing that I am learning and, and I'm telling my education leaders, because I get to do a lot of mentoring of education leaders, is don't ever speak up by yourself anymore. Make sure that you're taking somebody else with you. At least one other person, a team of other people is better so that it's not just your voice and they can't say, well, you're making that up. No, I've got two other people who are experiencing this as well. And, but it also means that we as black women leaders have to have a team around us. And that's mm-hmm. something that I'm talking with educator superintendents about. If you say you wanna hire black women to lead buildings or be district administrators, are you willing to give them a team to support them? Because if you're not, don't hire them because mm-hmm. they're not gonna get supported and they're gonna end up doing their year or maybe two years and be gone. And so that's where, you know, the rubber hits the road and you got to, if you say equity is what you're about and you say that you want a diverse um, C-suite, you have to be willing to provide the support that's necessary to make that actually a reality. Have either of you seen um, effective support systems around Black women leaders? So in theory, yes, in theory. so I was just with the a black woman leader in LA last crazy second time in California in five days. So I was in LA and they have their first black woman um, union boss. And, and I don't know that there's an effective, I don't know that they created an effective structure, but she has created a team around herself. That's pretty powerful. And it includes a black man, another black woman, um, Latino. I mean, it's just, it's a really diverse, but it's all people that understand how to support. And it was so fascinating to watch them rally around her. This last week, everybody that got on stage was a black woman or a a Latina woman. 
everyone that spoke in front of her and around her was a but and that was by intention and i think it's it's the reason that she's stayed and that she's survived um and that was a great model it was great to watch that and to watch how they carried her and it was almost like if it's a basketball player it was almost like people setting a block for her setting Mm -hmm. a screen um that's what it looked like to me and i think that is the only time i've seen an example of that I have to agree with Aaron. I have never seen um, a scenario where um, leaders of color are very intentionally set up for success in, um, and I want to be like very specific when I say that, right, this desire to diversify the leadership team typically begins and ends with hiring some people of color. And then um, those folks are subjected to microaggressions uh, and uh, sort of different performance standards, different, you know, compensation and rewards and pay and, and all of those things. And I think that part of the situation or uh requires a shift right in this mindset that well you're here and so that was one of the stories um uh one of the most i think impactful things for example that happened to me in my career was a uh my boss uh at the time was receiving a whole bunch of flack for not doing more around social equity and social justice. Um, And in a public space, he pointed at me, another black woman and a couple of other women of color and said, I am doing something. I hired all of you. Right. And so, you know, immediately sort of stripping like two national certifications and human resources, my master's degree, you know, several decades of experience in human resources, sort of down to like, I hired the black person, right? And similar to similar experience for those other people that, uh, that he pointed at. And I think that really many organizations have are are grappling with this idea of creating a multicultural anti-racist organization is going to require seismic shifts Mm -hmm. in the way that you do things and it's also going to require you to relinquish some power Mm -hmm. right um and not sort of have this entitlement that you're the next in line for the position or that was your job or your seat in the college. And so we still struggle mm-hmm. moving this work forward because we have some very privileged folks who have still very much bought into people of color, particularly black people, equals unqualified and whiteness equals qualified. Mm-hmm. It's difficult. You know, one of the women who spoke to me earlier this week about um, her situation and 
um, the fact that she is in a very top leadership position and that somebody would have the audacity to say to her, why are those people coming to you? Like um, in 2023, like after all that we go through and see in the news and all that's in front of us, people still resent people coming to a black woman to ask for advice or uh, get direction from um, when she's earned, worked her way up to a top seat. And so it's just, you know, exhausting, I think is the word when I talk to her, you know, the harm that's been created to black women who are in leadership positions and what they are trying to navigate and how they have, they have what it takes to get there, but they're doing it with shackles on and there's no one to help like to your point about your basketball analogy, there's nobody to screen for them, right? And so if nobody's going to give a screen, you can't take the shot. And so that's the um, that's the difficulty I think that many Black women face is, and how long can they hold that up? How long can they continue to try to navigate a situation that uh, you'll get support to a degree, but when it comes to who just it might've been you, Stephanie, who said it, or I'll say it different because I can't remember the exact term that was used, but you know, when other folks come to our defense, when you defend black, you become black and they don't like what it feels like to be on the receiving end of abuse and torture <laughs> is what happens to those folks who, and so they don't have the wherewithal to stick it out and see it all through because once they're labeled, then there's a cost to them as well. And so, you know, I, I just really have been trying to help black women to be successful um, and trying to help give them tips for how they, they can navigate some of these situations. Uh, albeit, you know, I did it in my thirties and forties, you know, in my fifties now I'm, there's only a, a certain, there's only so long you can tolerate or deal with it before we've had enough. Um, I have a couple of thoughts I wanted to share. I had actually put a slide together that I wanted to share to Black women with just kind of three thoughts uh, that I thought would be very helpful to Black women who are in these leadership positions. One is about, you know, making sure that you have, you know, emotional intelligence that you're adept at reading the room and people and all the political dynamics that go on in your organizations, because those are wrought. I mean, they are just everywhere. Uh, the other, you know, the self-awareness and authentic leadership. Again, I believe in that. And I will emphasize that, you know, there's a cost when you do operate from an authentic space. And the third one is, you know, managing your reaction to situations that are meant to undermine you, um, or try to take away your confidence and make you feel like you're crazy, even though you know you're not. And so I, you know, I was just hoping that I could be helpful in giving some of that coaching advice to black women and try to encourage them to hang in there. Uh, and I think just because I've been hearing so much of it in the last several weeks, um, it's disturbing to me to hear it. Do either of you have any final thoughts about what we want to leave with? Go I ahead. want to, that last, the last, one that you the last um, message that you had in your recommendations about um, you know how manage. do you respond mm -hmm. yeah how do you manage your emotions when someone is trying to dismiss you or make or belittle you one mm -hmm. of the things that my husband told me during the campaign that has stayed with me forever and I just think it's so powerful um, and so I share it everywhere I go 
is do not take criticism seriously from people you would not seek out for advice. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that again. Do not take criticism seriously from people you would not seek out for advice. So if you are, if someone shows up in your space with critique of your work and it's not something that you would trust at any other point in time, you've got to let it roll off your shoulders. You have to, I mean, obviously it will hurt. It's a little dagger, but let it be a little dagger. Toss it off, pull it out, toss it off. And don't, I think sometimes we hold on to critique from everyone and, and be really intentional about who gets to mm -hmm. give you critique that you will listen to. And that for me has really saved me a lot of tears and, and heartache and lack of confidences. I'm very careful about who gets to critique me. Yeah, that's powerful advice. I heard it. I've heard it articulated. I've actually had somebody um, who has mentored me in my own business who said, never take advice from somebody about how to build your business from someone who's never built one. And so it's mm -hmm. the same thing, right? People always want to have an opinion, but they haven't stuck their necks out and or done to your point, Erin, you know, Stephanie, did you have any final thoughts? Um, yes, to everything that both of you said. And I would add, get clear on your why, mm -hmm. right? Like, why do you want to step into this position, whatever this next step may be for you? Um, and I think getting clear on your why um, as your North Star um, is going to help you be able to focus and keep, you know, the, the BS that's going on in your peripheral. Um, and, you know, being in these roles, because sometimes it just seems like it's the next step, right? In my career, I'm just going to continue to promote because that's what I'm supposed to do, right? Um, or I want to make more money. Promoting into that next step might not be the way the best way to make more money. Like there's a whole bunch of different kinds of ways to make more money. Um, but just being clear about and interrogating your why and then sort of knowing, you know, the landscape that you're, you're uh, stepping into. Are you being placed on a glass cliff? Do you have some people around you that you can trust or you feel confident that you're going to be able to build that community? Interrogate who your your boss is going to be in the organization that you're in like get intel on them too the way that in an interview process they're going to collect intel about you yep very well said thank you both before we close out i just want to show just i was just looking at some of our beautiful black women leaders here in the seattle area we'll show that um, as we exit tonight and say goodnight to all of you. So have a quick look and then we will look forward to seeing you all next week. Converge Media produces culturally relevant content for black and urban audiences. Our coverage is raw, transparent, and objective, praised by community leaders, government officials, and residents. Support Converge Media today via Venmo, Cash App, or PayPal at Converge Media.